Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Sadly, you know, for me, sadly, this is a polit- kind of politics. You know, you know, we're in not just in Illinois, but nationally right now, where you have you know these you know ultra rich people uh, who are able to start these campaigns over time and, and change the narrative. I don't know whether it's you know getting Citizens United repealed. Or you know, how you go about getting some of this really big dark money out of politics, but I think that's important. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is the majority leader of the Illinois House, soon to be retiring majority leader Greg Harris. Greg, welcome. Say it ain't so. Why now? Why is 16 <laughs> years enough at age 66, which is not well, all that old, by the way? It's not It's not all that soon either. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be finishing out my term, uh, which ends in uh, 2023. And I, yeah, after 16 years, you know, I've, I've done a lot. I'm proud of the things I got done and think it's time to move along and let a new generation of leadership step up and take charge. I would have thought that if you were contemplating retirement, you might have done it when the earth shook in Illinois politics. That is when the combined weight of the Commonwealth Edison bribery scandal swirling around Mike Madigan and the Me Too scandal on Madigan's staff before that forced Madigan to relinquish the gavel as House Speaker, resign from the House and step down as chairman of the Illinois Democratic Party. Why did you wait until the House had already made that transition from Mike Madigan to Chris Welch? Well, I was in a unique position as majority leader to, one, help manage the succession process in the House, and also to make sure that there's continuity between the Madigan era and this new era we're in now with Speaker Welch, uh, to be sure that things like budget and healthcare policy and other things had some continuity with them and that the, some of the institutional knowledge uh, remained. But I think that institutional knowledge is still very valuable. Did uh, Speaker Welch try to talk you out of this? Um, he and I had a, a couple of good long conversations. And? And Did he urge uh, you to stay? And yeah, I've decided this is a, a good choice right now, and that's uh, where I will be heading. So he tried to talk you out of this, and you couldn't be talked out of it. 
Well, there's another thing, too, is uh, making this announcement now is really important to me because by doing so, I, there's now a window of opportunity. There's a couple months for folks in my district who are considering running for office to get their petitions going and get them filed. Uh, you know, if this announcement had been delayed or this happened later on in a year or so, remember then that would have triggered an appointment by you know, committeemen. And in our area, there just has not been a chance for voting on an open seat for a while. And that was really an important value to me to make sure that when I left, it was in time for new people in this district to run for office and let the people vote. You talk about the new generation ready to step up. Who would you like to see replace you? Oh, I, I do not have a horse in that particular race. Our, our community has you know, so many different kinds of activists and organizers and you know, uh, in every spectrum and climate and women's issues and LGBT rights and you know, education policy. Uh, I've talked to a bunch of people already you know, from all different kinds of backgrounds and all different kinds of experiences. And I think whoever decides to, you know, um, move ahead, you know, it, it's going to be some really good choices. You are very well liked by your colleagues in the House. Why didn't you make a run for speaker yourself? Did you not want the headaches of the job? Was it, a, what was it about that job that you didn't feel you wanted? It wasn't so much about what I didn't think I wanted. It was looking at the time and thinking what was the right thing for our caucus in this state. And, you know, remember we were in the midst of COVID, you know, we were still, you know, rocked by uh, the, the George Floyd killing and, you know, so many, uh, you know, issues that, you know, we're, we're just shaking our caucus and you know, shaking our whole community to the core. It just seemed to me like it was a, a much better chance uh, to support Speaker Welch and bring on a new generation of leaders and also to make history by electing the first African-American uh, Speaker of the House in Illinois in over 203 years. Well, you would have made yeah. history, too, as the first gay speaker. Yeah, but I think, you know, Chris was the man for the moment. Yeah, I've known and worked with him. Yeah, he's an incredible guy, an incredible leader. And that's why, you know, I supported him. What was it like serving under the iron-fisted and very highly disciplined regime of Mike Madigan? And how does it compare, in your opinion, to how Chris Welch is doing business? Um, it, it, it's two different worlds. I mean, two different mindsets, you know, two different people. Like you said, you know, Speaker Madigan was you know, very rigid and very detail-oriented, you know, Speaker Welch is very detail-oriented, but very collective and inclusive in his leadership. Um, for me, you know, I tend to be really, really detail-oriented and you know, sort of one foot in front of the other kind of guy. And um, that that's worked under both speakers, apparently. Do you peel your apples before you eat them, as Madigan did? I peel my oranges. You know, we were that was the difference in our offices. There was apples in Speaker Madigan's office. I had oranges. <laughs> Mike Madigan learned his politics from Richard J. Daly. What did you learn from Mike Madigan? What did you admire most about him? Of the attention to detail, uh, you know, he was a planner. You know, he always thought, uh, 
a couple act if we do this thing you know what are the potential consequences down the road and how do we plan in advance for those so you know just the discipline and you know planning and detail orientation i think were, were, were things i learned there yeah he was a chess player he thought a few moves ahead yeah and that's a good thing and you know in 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 the sort of rush along, you know, high speed world we're in now and where, you know, a lot of social media, you know, moves narratives constantly, that ability to sit and think, you know, really quietly about if this happens, what are the possible consequences and how do you address the second and third order consequences of something you do? Can you think about an example of his strategic mind, his ability to think ahead, his discipline. Give me some examples. Give me a vignette or two about. Well, I mean, just, just think about you know, all the fights with Bruce Rahner. You know, you remember when, when Governor Rahner was in power, you know, he used, you know, all the forces of his office to destroy organized labor in this state and to do that, you know, he took higher education and human services hostage. Uh, there was no budget. That was the year, the years of the budget impasse, and it was Rahner's plan to you know, starve out uh, higher education, human services, which were incredibly important to Democrats, and that's why he chose them in an effort to get us to turn against you know, organized labor and uh, uh, workers' rights. And that's something we refuse to do. And so every step of the way, you know, we, we looked at Ronner's actions and then we figured you know, what would be a good counter reaction and you know, how to leverage things politically to continue to you know, get those things funded through different means um, all throughout the impasse. And eventually, you know, the, the weight of Ronner had done across the state and the damage he had caused and you know, the wreckage to people's lives, you know, forced the hand and, and people compromised and, and, and moved on over his objections. But Rauner did use his millions to soften up Mike Madigan. He destroyed him, villainized him, and ultimately that softened the ground beneath Madigan's feet, don't you think? Yeah, and I, I think this is, you know, sadly, you know, for me, sadly, this is the kind of politics, you know, you know we're in not just in Illinois, but nationally right now, where you have, you know, these, you know, ultra rich people uh, who are able to uh, start these campaigns over time and, and change the narrative. And, you know, I, I don't know whether it's, you know, getting Citizens United repealed or, you know, how you go about getting some of this really big dark money out of politics. But I think that's important. Don't you put J.B. Pritzker in that same category? Look at the money he spent to get elected. He's a billionaire, too. Yeah. And I, I, I wish we could find a way to more level the playing field so that uh, the ability to get into public office is more about community organizing and uh, more about message that, that uh, average candidates can afford to put out than battles of the very wealthy. Yeah, how, I, I, I how don't can think that I, be done. I think opinion? first thing is you know Congress has got to work on repealing Citizens United. I think when Citizens United uh, decision was made by the Supreme Court, 
and money started to flow into these different, you know, super PACs and outside groups. That's when you began to see the change. I think you're seeing it in the change in Illinois with you know, some of the you know, sort of dark money groups getting involved in our politics here. You certainly saw it on the national level with the uh, uh, you know, of voter, you know, the voter suppression drives and things like that that you saw in uh, different states. And I think it's very corrosive on the democracy. Let's talk again about Madigan. What qualities of his did you least admire? Yeah, I least admire. Yeah, he was very, very, you know, closed and uh, you know, it, communicating with him. Uh, you know, you had to be very precise and very disciplined. Uh, so sometimes you'd like to have more freewheeling discussions. Did he keep you out of the loop on stuff? Did you have trouble getting him on the phone or in person? He never spoke on cell phones, I know. Neither did Richard M. Daly. They were both paranoid about that. But did you have trouble getting through to him, even as well? Oh, no, his- no, it, it, it wasn't. That. Just sometimes you, you would say, well, I'd rather have a lot of discussion. And he was very minimalist about it. Um, yeah, he would that, like, that was just he, me as a he person. Didn't, he didn't, he would like nod at you. Richard J. Daly uh, was like that, that uh, Rastankowski used to tell stories about Richard J. Daly, that he would, he wouldn't commit himself. He would sort of nod and you would be left to figure out what he wanted you to do by what he didn't say more than what he did. Was that Madigan yeah. too? Well, you know, and as I'm thinking about this, yeah, there was a, a lot of that in Madigan. But then, you know, the the flip side of that might be, you know, maybe I should think of this as sort of, you know, a compliment in that he had enough faith in me and my judgment. He was like, I've given you these tasks. You go about doing it the best way you know how without my interference. So, you know, there, there's a uh, there's a potentially a good side to that, too. You're a budget expert, and where are we right now in state of Illinois finances? Certainly, Governor uh, Pritzker has benefited enormously from the avalanche of federal stimulus funds. He will benefit enormously from the infrastructure money and the social program bill now pending before Congress, if that gets passed. But there are still unpaid bills. There's still a pension crisis to contend with. The city of Chicago still needs pension help of its own and has gotten none from Springfield. In fact, the firefighters pension sweetener uh, will make things worse, very much worse. Where are we? What needs to happen both at the city and state levels, particularly on pensions? Well, I can tell you, you know, we are a heck of a lot better than we were two years ago since you know, Governor Pritzker has come to office. We have paid down $3 billion of our debt. You know, we paid off $3 billion of our debt. Our debts were on our way to paying off all of our interfund borrowing. Our backlog of bills has come to have unpaid bills has come down from uh, 17 billion to just under 3 billion, which is essentially a 30 day uh, cycle. Uh, we're paying all of our pension obligations as required. Uh, no financial gimmicks there. We've closed $3 billion of corporate tax loopholes to make sure that you know, wealthy corporations and individuals are paying more of their fair share. 
that being said, you know, we, we still have a lot of work to do to restore us to structural soundness. Now, I think in this next year, we want to start replenishing our rainy day fund and want to finish paying off the uh, different you know, interfund borrowings we've made. Uh, and in the next couple of years, be back on you know a very strong financial footing. And I think it's worth noting that you know it's not just on saying, oh, we're doing a good job. You've got all three bond rating agencies, you know, Standard and Poor's, uh, Fitch's, and S and P, have both upgraded. All three upgraded Illinois and for Moody's the first time too. in in Moody's too. All upgraded the state of Illinois for the first time in a quarter century and are pointing out saying, you know, you guys are on the right track, but there's more work to do. Right. But Uh, what about pensions, state and city? Well, I think the Supreme court has made it clear, you know, our job is to pay the, uh, the the debt on our pensions, which we have now been doing. And that, you know, this year was a particularly good year for our pensions because we had a major increase in returns on our assets. There's different management going on in uh, pension assets and and that's helped. And it's going to take a while to work that through, but we're a long way down that path. Now the city, that's a different animal. It's a different budget. And I don't know the ins and outs of that. So it's so hard for me to comment on. But there needs to be a new funding source, don't they? Don't don't we need a a new service tax, a tax on retirement income, all of the above? For the city? Yeah, for the city. I, now, yes. There again, I, I I don't know enough about the city finances to have a relation, you know, informed observation on that. But you're a lawmaker and a leader from Chicago, though, don't you? feel the obligation to help them some somehow with their pension crisis? If they come to us with, you know, different suggestions and solutions, you know, we're, we're really happy to take a look at them and try to help. But you don't have any ideas of your own? On the city of Chicago, no. Yeah. The 2013 bill that legalized gay marriage was your shining hour. And yet in May 2013, you were nearly in tears when you told your supporters on the House floor that you wouldn't be calling for a vote at that moment, even though the bill had already been approved by the Senate and had Pat Quinn's support as governor because of opposition from Catholic and conservative black church groups. That must have been so difficult for you to do as a gay person yourself, also having been a victim of 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 living with HIV AIDS all all this time. But you're a pragmatist. You're not an idealist. And so you did that. Talk, talk about that whole fight and what it meant to you and the delay and then the final victory that you finally see, saw through. Well, uh, when, I, when I first came into office in 2006, you know, one of the things I told people I wanted to do was you know, achieve full marriage equality for LGBT people in Illinois. And Back then, it was really viewed as, well, that's a great aspiration, but people didn't you know, hold much hope that that would ever happen you know, in any of our lifetimes. I mean, it just seemed like so far away. But you know, the LGBT community, not just in Illinois, but around the country, you know, really started to fight back after the DOMA bills were passed in different states and the DOMA legislation was passed in Congress and realized that 
we need to go state to state in every way we could and pass our rights into law. And you know, between when I started 2006 and then when the bill finally passed 2013, that was really a you know, pretty short amount of time in the scheme of things. Uh, and over that time, you saw the you know, public opinion on gay marriage you know, shift in one of the most dramatic fashions that you know the polling industry has ever seen from you know, like 70% opposition to um, you know, high 60s support. So a lot of work got done. And was that a horrible day on the House floor when I was ready to call it and then realized that some of my votes were not going to be there? Oh, yeah, hell, it was. That was like a horrible day to be to be booed. And, you know, there were people saying, you know, call the bill. You know, you got to put it up there. You got to make a record. And um, um, I, I thought that was the wrong idea to put up people's rights for a vote and have them lose and block votes in that might be with you on a future, you know, on a future roll call would have been a huge mistake and could have set us back years and years. Um, so we regrouped across the state of Illinois. We organized in every community and in November it passed and, uh, Illinois was the last state that was able to pass marriage equality legislatively. And then the Supreme Court stepped in. Uh, and, and in November, everyone was thrilled um, with the way it turned out. And now, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at what's going on in the Supreme Court with Roe versus Wade, you know, the, the arguments that started yesterday. I think back in 2013, people were pretty sure, oh, my goodness, when the Windsor case and the Oberfeld case got decided by the Supreme Court, then the rest of the country, those who had not passed it legislatively, the rest of the country was probably safe because Supreme Court precedent never got overturned. Now, today, you know, we're looking at what's happening, happening with women's reproductive rights. And I'm pretty glad we passed this in Illinois and got it into state law because what's next for the right wing? Are they going to come after marriage equality rights in the Supreme Court if, you know, Roe falls? So, you know, it, it's still an issue we've got to pay a lot of attention to. What is it about Greg Harris that made him realize that it wasn't worth it to try and fail in May, that you should wait? In looking at the strategy of how these things when and looking at history and you know reading up on you know, how you get legislative success um and you know it could have gone either way boy am i glad that it went the way it did um and you know people were so proud and a lot of people were involved in it uh but uh i'm, I'm just i'm glad the way i'm, I'm glad to have won I'm glad you're not won. into Pyrrhic victories. You wanted a win, a real one. Yeah. Yeah, I was so in this to win it. Not, not, not for a show. Madigan, not for or a show is that just Pardon? part of you? Is that what you learned from Madigan or is that you? If you read a lot of history about different rights legislation and, um, different high, you know, high profile public policy legislation, this is the eternal question is, do you put up a do you put up a bill to you know get a roll call vote and show people 
Uh, you, tried. <laughs> you tried and then show how this one and that one cast their vote and hope that uh, their constituents can turn them around or they will, you know, they will worry that they're going to go down in history for this. Or do you make the decision you've got to call it and win it because you know, that's the best option and it's going to work the best for the long run. And I was in the category of, you know, we've got to be in this to win it. We've got to be sure it's going to pass. And it passed and it passed with um, a bipartisan vote, which is a really good thing. You are HIV positive at one point in life that would have been a death sentence. What has it been like living with that? How have you been, managed to survive this long and going on and on? Um, well, the early years were hard, and that's when we first met each other, when I was over working at City Hall. I remember um, you saying you took like 75 pills a day or something. Am I, oh, is that my memory? Yeah. Am I yeah. right? Uh, back you know, when, when AIDS first came around, um, there were really no treatments, there were no cures. I mean, as they did begin to develop drugs, you know, often the drugs, you know, the side effects of the drugs were worse than the disease. And there were a lot of days like that. And um, I'm, I'm one of the few friends I had back from that era that actually survived. Uh, so I count myself extremely uh, lucky for that. Um, it, it, these days, you know, the, the medicines are much better. There's, you know, PrEP, you know, pre-exposure prophylaxis, uh, prophylaxis, which, you know, people can take uh, as a pill that's, you know, preventative for HIV if they're sexually active. So the world is much better. It was it, There were some pretty grim and dark days back in the beginning. So you, instead of 75 pills a day, you take how many? Um, right now I take one HIV pill a day. Wow. And, and the side effects? Uh, none. None. Wow. Wow. So the, I assume that in the early days, there were days when you couldn't get out of bed in the morning. I couldn't get out of, you know, you get out of bed. You know, I was down to like about 90 pounds, you know, because of different wasting diseases and stuff like that. Um, which you remember, you know, and, and Marianne Smith and Rich Daly were very supportive back in those days. Uh, some of the early, you know, early people who were, uh, you know, supporting, you know, people with HIV. Um, and, the, you know, also, you know, mental health and substance abuse issues. I mean, that was a terrible time. And I've never struggled a lot of my life with, you know, depression and anxiety and substance abuse. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm just glad that a lot of those issues, you now you can, we can talk about these things very openly and uh, urge other people to acknowledge the struggles they have and to go get the care they need. Yeah. Do you still struggle with those? Is that a lifelong yep. struggle? Yep, that sure is. And how have you managed to tame that one? <laughs> um, see a therapist regularly, uh, you know, try to get exercise, have a rather decent diet. Um, just you know, day to day maintenance. You know, there there are things you, you you need to do just to you know keep yourself protected and take some time for yourself. And sometimes you just have to walk away from things. I mean, this job's really pretty high stress, and there's a lot of you know 
angry encountering kind of situations. And sometimes I just have to step back and say, I'm going to just take a break from you folks right now. And do you still have survivor's guilt with all the friends you must have lost? Yeah, everyone's still still around. You're still around. They didn't make it. And a lot of the stuff I think I do today is to honor them and the things they would have done if they had been here. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Before we let you go, can we talk just a little bit about some of the things you've seen? What do you remember about the Rod Blagojevich impeachment saga? Oh, I was pretty new when that happened. Uh, Oh, my God. Yeah, what a trial by fire to come in as like the new rep where you're still trying to find out like where your office is and how do you legislate and you're in the suddenly in the middle of impeaching a governor and then just you know just finding out the 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 things that he had did that were just so shocking like you know know, shaking down Lurie Children's Hospital trying to shake them down for money um the whole selling the senate seats and then of course you know being part of the impeachment trial and being down there for you know endless special sessions, it, it was you know quite a it, it was quite a way to get broken into being you know a legislator. And Republican candidates for governor have accused Governor Pritzker of running kind of a nanny state during the pandemic and overplaying a very heavy hand. Do you think there were areas where the governor went too far? or was too unilateral in his decision-making without consulting the General Assembly? Well, I think who he should have consulted was epidemiologists and doctors and public health specialists. Um, you know, th- th- a pandemic like this, which literally comes out of nowhere by definition, you know, a, a you know, here, heretofore unknown disease, this unknown germ or virus, you know, comes out of nowhere and suddenly sweeps across the world and people are getting sick and dying by the hundreds. Um, you know, you've got to act quickly. You've got to act decisively. You've got to follow the science. Um, yeah, I, I get so frustrated when people say, aha, you, you, you changed you know, this particular guidance from what it was six months ago. Well, you know, we're learning as we go along with this disease. And as science learns new things, yeah, you're going to need to shift the guidance. Um, are there things we could have done better? I'm, I'm sure there will be. And as we do a post-action analysis on this, when we get to the other side of COVID, you know, hopefully, you know, as we look toward, you know, what do we need to do as a state to plan for the next pandemic response as far as, you know, a stock. But is there nowhere he went too far, in your opinion? I'm sure you could find somewhere, but I think they did a pretty good job uh, under incredibly difficult circumstances. Let's look at politics. What races, House, Senate, Congressional, gubernatorial? What uh, what's going to happen in the what what races are you watching in the new cycle? What's your prediction on the governor's race? And what about Ken Griffin? Who will he throw his money behind? <laughs> You'll have to ask Ken that. I don't know. Uh, I, I think the thing to watch this time is just because it's a remap year, um, the entire Senate will be up for a vote. You know, the whole House is always up for a vote. You've got all these county officers up for votes, just the sheer number of people on the ballot. And most of us running in new districts 
and how we're going to communicate and you know what resources will there be both in volunteers and money to support all these efforts. I, I think it's, it, it, there's just going to be all kinds of, you know, uh, things happening that we, we had not foreseen. All this can get driven by COVID too. You know, what does COVID do between now and election day? And of course, you know, all the things going on in Washington, you know, does that help turn out for one party or another or depress it for one party or another? Those are the bigger sort of macro things I think we should watch. And what about the 2023 race for mayor of Chicago? How do you rate Lori Lightfoot's chances of reelection with crime as high as it is in Chicago, headed for 800 homicides or more this year? Well, I think you know, all of us at every level of government have got to have a laser-like focus on you know what can we do not only to intervene in the crimes, you know, the type of things that are happening today in real time, but also you know you've, you've got to start investing in the things that are going to produce long-term results. We've got to start putting a lot of resources behind the things that are going to you know reduce. Uh, crime, not in necessarily this year, but in succeeding years and stop the intergenerational cycles that we've seen um, and you know, how the mayor will do. Let, 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 let's see closer to the election time. I mean, so much changes so fast these days in politics. It's hard to you know, make a judgment for you know, a couple of years in the future based on what's happening today. How would you compare her cloud in Springfield to Daly and Rahm Emanuel? All of them have down, been down. They've all called us. They've all worked the phones. Um, they've all had uh, different successes on different bills. So, you know, she's working the phones when she needs to. And uh, as of Rahm and uh, as the mayor, I know she's been down a couple times. And, uh, you know, you can probably always do more. But Not I, as big I, a I presence. Not as big a presence. Uh, the only real significant victory she's had is the casino, and she had to fix that. Well, the casino, as you mentioned before, could be a huge benefit for the city's pension problem. So that that's a pretty big one. You're leaving office with 600000 in your campaign war chest. What's next for you? Uh, we'll see. I've, you know, what I wanted to do right now was to get the word out so that people had a chance to you know, file to run for the seat to replace me. And I've got a year to figure out what's next. Will you ever run for office again? Yeah, but I haven't gotten that far. Well, Greg Harris, I appreciate uh, your wonderful career. If it ends here, politically anyway, uh, we thank you for your service. And if it doesn't, we'll look forward with interest to see where you go next. Thank you so much for everything and celebrate yourself. You deserve it. Take a bow. And we will see you all next week. Thank you, Fran.